last communion meditation from the book of Ruth. I'll read the final uh, portion here of chapter 4. It's verses 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this uh, closing uh, portion of Ruth. We ask you to uh, glorify yourself. We thank you for the privilege of uh, understanding your word and the fact that you've granted us uh, the opportunity to value it as we do. Uh, please, Lord, apply it to our hearts and minds. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Our first verse, verse 13, we read, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And, went he, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, I think there is probably not a more offensive thought to the unbelievers that we live in the midst of than that it is God that controls conception. We know that there is a physiological component to conception. We are very familiar with this, those of us that are of age. And yet, we also, as believers, acknowledge the Word of God. And here, God specifically writes that He controlled conception. Now, this is not unique in Scripture. It is throughout Scripture that God controls conception. And yet, our science says God has no role in this. Of course, they say there is no God, so how could a non-existent being have a role in such a scientific act? And yet, it's throughout Scripture. Um, Genesis 29:31 said that when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. And so God had mercy upon this woman whose husband did not yet love and appreciate her as he ought to. We know that Sarah was barren for decades before giving birth to a son. Rebecca, Isaac pled for Rebecca because she was barren and was not producing children. Rachel was barren and yet later then produced children. In many of these instances, it is this barrenness that drove them to God to request children from him, and he granted them that request. It was true of Hannah, Samuel's mother. 
It was true of Samson's mother, and it was true of many. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, uh, she was barren as well. And so unbelievers have an excuse for their lack of faith. They're unbelievers. So they attribute this only to the physiological. But we as Christians have absolutely no excuse for presuming upon God, specifically in this area of conception. Now, there are many, many things that we most likely presume upon God in, but I think it's common for Christians to presume upon God in this. I don't know if it's nearly as common for us because we appreciate God and His Word and believe it, and yet many Christians adopt society's perspective in balancing faith and science, and science prevails for many Christians. And it strikes them as odd when they read such a verse as this, that God granted conception here. Or like in the time of Abram, when he goes there and, he's in, and he says that Sarah's my sister, and she is taken by Abimelech, this Philistine king and lord, all the wombs were closed up in his household. And then when Abram prayed for Abimelech and his household, then the wombs were reopened. This is how the world works. You might think it's all physiological. It's not true. God does it. And yet, God so consistently blesses unbelievers with being fertile that we just think that it's a matter of course, that God seems to have no regard for them. But even amongst the unbelievers, Abimelech was an unbeliever. It is dependent on his kindness to extend the gift of conception to them. In verse 14, we read, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. That's kinsman redeemer who has not left you without this redeemer. They're speaking to Naomi. And then later, they congratulate Naomi on having a son. As if Ruth isn't even in the equation, it seems. But yet, it's very important that we understand this. That this and, and Naomi went on to nurse this son. So it's very important that we understand that Naomi is just as blessed as Ruth with this child that God has brought into being. I want to focus on this genealogy here at the end. First, who do you think wrote the book of Ruth? We know that the book of Ruth occurred, the circumstances in which are being written about occurred during the time of the judges. The book tells us that. And yet, some would say that the prophet Samuel didn't write the book because of this or that because of that. But I think it's quite common to think Samuel wrote this book. Now, Samuel, we know, was the last of the judges. And so he, he anointed Saul king. He anointed David king. And so it's likely that he wrote this book. Who was Perez, Perez, in verse 12, may your house be like the house of Perez. Sounds Hispanic, doesn't it? We have Hispanic in the heritage here. Now later, we also see his name in verse 18. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. So we know that Perez was the firstborn of the Judah-Tamar combination. 
So Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, yet her, his two sons had both died with her as their wife, and then he promised Sheila to her, did not fulfill that promise, and then she deceived him. And so we know that Perez, though, supplanted his brother. His brother stuck out his hand, a red silk thread was tied to it, and then hand disappears, out comes another kid. And so Perez was the firstborn. He supplanted his brother right from the womb. And he's honored in this genealogy here. And yet he's a product of what we would call incest. He's a product of incest. We also know that the Moabites, the entire nation, was a product of incest, a product of Lot sleeping with his eldest daughter. It's remarkable that the Bible is so above board with admitting this. This is unsavory. This is, this is unusual that you'd have this included in a holy book, that these people are so unholy. Now, who was Salmon, Obed's father? Salmon, Matthew 1.5 tells us, married Rahab, the harlot. So there is this harlot in the line. There is this incest in the line. It's not a very pretty genealogy. I know that some of you have researched your relatives, and everybody is very proud to point to the fact that they are related to this or that person, this famous, wonderful person. But who traces their lineages back to say, well, you know, I was the product of this horrible man, that, you know, Vlad the Impaler or something like that. We don't want to be associated with evil people. We only want to be associated with good people. Yet God knows who we're associated with, and yet he associates with us anyway. So this is a dynasty that's being recorded here. I believe the prophet Samuel recorded this at the time after David has been anointed king to say, you all might be curious about this young man who has now been anointed king. Let me tell you about his ancestry. So we have this description of who David is. Now, we also know that during the time of the judges, what did people do? What is the book of Judges known for? The people did what was right in their own eyes. It's just such a horrible attribution of an entire period of time. And it's forewarned in Deuteronomy. Introducing the law, the law states that you now do what is right in your own eyes. And that persisted. Even though they had the law, it persisted. Generally, as a people, they did that. But we know Boaz didn't. We know that Ruth, this Moabitess, didn't. She's a recent convert to Judaism, and yet she's being faithful to the Lord in abiding by the law, in seeking this husband, Boaz, this kinsman redeemer. So when Israel later wanted a king, they chose Saul. Now, we know that Samuel chose Saul for them, but this was who they wanted. Look at him. He's a head taller than everybody. And yet, God put him down and raised up David in his place from this law-abiding lineage. And that's how we form dynasties, right? It's formed through obedience, not through disobedience. Now, it's sad that 
around the world, there can be dynasties of crime, dynasties of evil. These are true, but we know God will take them down. What is more God-honoring, however, is that there are dynasties because they are God-honoring, because they are law-abiding. The story of Ruth demonstrates the truth that obedience leads to life, and that though our sins are as scarlet, God makes them white as snow, and that dynasties arise from people's accruing blessing through prolonged obedience, obedience in the tiniest of things, such as honoring the Leveret marriage as they did here. So let's remember this as we come to the table. We come to a God who blesses us consistently for obedience and strengthens us and promises us a bright future to that end. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of a future to us and to our children. That, Lord, not only do we have heaven to look forward to, but we have the opportunity to bless your kingdom as you bless us with growth and as we live out our lives obediently in accordance with your word. We give you thanks for your kindness and for your presence in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.